Hello and welcome to the Chicken Neck podcast. Northeast India's first policy-based podcast. You can write to us at chickenneckpodcast@gmail.com as we try to bring intriguing stories from this side of the chicken neck to the rest of the nation. Hello and welcome everyone to the 8th episode of the Chicken Neck podcast. We are joined today by Hekani Jakhalu. Hekani is a qualified lawyer and the founder of YouthNet, which is one of the premier youth organizations in Northeast India that empowers young people to address education, unemployment, entrepreneurship and livelihood issues. We talked to her about her own journey, her vision behind starting YouthNet and on various policy fronts surrounding youth empowerment, youth employment, entrepreneurship and much more. Welcome Hekani to the Chicken Neck podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Animesh and the team here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, you know, before we start discussing about various issues, we wanted to have a peek into your own life and your own journey. From, you know, you, you have a quite an amazing journey. You started from Nagaland, you went to the United States and then came back to Nagaland. So tell us a bit about that. Um, so I, I grew, grew up in Nagaland till about class 10. I studied here and then, yes, uh, but most of my life after my schooling, my school days, my college, I was out in Bangalore, Delhi, and then <clears throat> I worked in Delhi and I did my master's, my LLM from the US. And I also worked there a little bit here and there. And, uh, in 2006, I decided to quit everything and come back home, start YouthNet, focusing on youth empowerment and youth development. So, you know, one of the very interesting part about your journey, and I think it's interesting to us because it resonates with most of us at the Chicken Egg Podcast, is the fact that you, you were a lawyer, right? So tell us a bit about that. Was it always on your mind to become a lawyer at, at that point of time? So, so um, not really. That might disappoint all the lawyers sitting there, but not really, actually. Um, um, as a young person growing up in the Northeast and especially Nagaland, the first priority for every parent was to get into a government job. And you know, you're literally brainwashed. Uh, you grow up uh, thinking that one day you'll join the government. And that was the pressure from the family pressure. And uh, But things changed. I graduated from Lady Sri Ram. And till then I thought I was going to be sitting for exams because of the family pressure and the societal pressure. But uh, somehow after I graduated, I decided to join the law school, uh, the law faculty in Delhi University. And it just happened actually, I had not really planned also, but it just happened. And I, I thought it was just great that I chose the right profession. But again, um, I, I had to prove myself wrong because at some point of time, I had to just sort of abandon my first love and get into something else again. You know, you call it your first love. So, you know, uh, when you left it, <laughs> when you left it, you have, you are the partner of a law firm. I think for, for any person who wants to study law or who is a lawyer, becoming a partner is a significant part of the success journey, right? Now, tell us mm -hmm. a bit about what made you leave such a, you know, wonderful job at that point. What was the mindset behind it? I mean, we understand you wanted to work, but for Nagaland, but what was the mindset back then? When I came back to Delhi, um, because when I was in the US, I, after my LLM, I was also working uh, 
uh, with Amnesty International for some time and, you know, dabbling here and there. But, but I came to Delhi because I, I mean, I got this wonderful opportunity and uh, I was excited uh, to get this chance. But during those days, that was in the, uh, in the mid 2000, 2004, three, four, five, the, the, the retail sectors were booming in, the, in, the, in, the, in Delhi and NCR. You know, today we have malls everywhere. Every second block is a mall. But during those days, uh, you know, we just had uh, shopping areas like Khan Market or um, uh, South Extension One, two type of a thing. But so when the malls were coming up there, I started noticing a lot of young people from the Northeast were working there. And fine, I mean, I, I, I'm someone who really respects dignity of labor. So I was not trying to demean the type of work that they were doing, but what was really worrying me was what was driving these young people to the cities, you know, and most of them, um, these were uh, young people who were actually venturing out from their uh, villages and small towns for the first time. And for me, I've been a Delhi girl for a long time and I know how, how, how Delhi is, you know, it can be, it can be rough. And that also started worrying me. And I really wanted to understand uh, the whole objective of these young people coming out. What was the future, you know? And then I decided to do a small study. Uh, and this study actually sort of opened my eyes. Uh, many of them, they were migrating to the cities because of no option, no job opportunities in the Northeast. So they were really venturing out to the cities thinking it's a, it's great. I mean, it's a great opportunity type of a thing. And when they were coming out, most of them had no idea what the future holds for them. And because these were young people who were not uh, really uh, formally trained, that they would have some sort of uh, capacity building for a month or maybe a few weeks, but really not trained where we can even see a job growth. And I mean, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, what next, you know? So these are some of the things that started bothering me and this whole unemployment issue of young people, many of young people who we spoke with had, um, you know, different, um, uh, some sort of dis discrimination, different problems like discrimination problem at workplace, sexual harassment at workplace. So this, this issues sort of worried me. And then one fine day I met with our chief minister, Nagaland chief minister, we had a long chat and he was also talking about the challenges of youth employment and you know how much the government is also grappling with this issue. And I mean, that sort of just made me think I want to leave everything and just start focusing on young people, start working with the government uh, for youth empowerment and youth development and just empowering young people. And then my, my life changed completely. I think I, I completely understand the factors yeah. that went into it. I mean, I can understand what you might have thought those many years back. And without trying to stereotype anything, the fact remains that even today, uh, people from Northeast sometimes face discrimination as it gets reported in the national media as well. So I think to, to understand the psychology behind it, I, I completely agree. But you know, also just to add on to add that, and I might be you know completely wrong here as well, but do you also feel that because you spend certain time of your life before venturing out in Nagaland at that point, and the fact that at that point maybe it was not as peaceful in the Northeast region altogether, also played a part deep down that you at 
at some point you wanted to come back and work towards the communities that you had initially grown up in. Do you think that also somehow plays an important role in a person's mind? Uh, in my case, to be very honest, no, because um, I I don't come from a very um, you know uh, very high-fi family, but I had a comfortable life, and at some point of time, I was young, and I had really not seen um, uh, the difficulties. To be very honest, I'm being very honest. I had not really seen the difficulties of you know, uh, the difficulties that our people were going through. And so those things really did not cross my mind at all. Um, and then by, by the time I finished my school, I had gone out and I, I was living in the cities. I would just come home for some holiday, spend time with my family and go back. Uh, so it was just a very, um, it, it just happened actually. But also when I was in the US, I was, uh, my, my focus was on um, uh, women's rights. And there we were studying a lot about um, Eastern European countries where young women, you know, they were migrating to, to different parts of the, the neighboring countries. And there, then we see a lot of um, uh, issues of trafficking and, um, you know, sexual exploitation, you know, those things sort of, I, in a way, start thinking what happened happens if our young girls, especially our young girls, you know, moving to migrating to cities and then out of no option. And then what happens to them? Are we really going to go, go the Eastern European way? Like if you don't, because during our research, apart from so many other things uh, that, we were, that, that came out of the finding, we also found about the insecurity of these women and for the, the, the girls from the Northeast. And that was also one of the reasons how I sort of connected and I really thought it's important that, I mean, how much can I do as, a, as an individual, but at least from the little learning that I had and experiences uh, that I had uh, for, uh, abroad, uh, I thought I should just go back home and make sure that these things are plucked before it goes out of hand. And so it was a very, yeah, the later development, not really an influence of my childhood. I, I understand that. Now, so going back to that point, you know, you, you're, you're ready to now take on another trajectory in your life. So how did the idea, I, I understand the, you know, the understanding behind starting uh, off to Nagaland at that point, but how did you specifically end up doing what you do at Internet? Was it, you know, the fact that you had, you, you looked into certain sectors that you looked into developing the youth and then putting them into you know the retail sector or different sectors how did their entire story pan out after that yeah so i decided to quit everything and go back home and i had absolutely no idea where i was going to start from that's the tragedy but because of the um, the, the small research that i had done in delhi along with some of the volunteers from delhi universities uh, university um, that also gave me a basis the, then during that time, what was happening in my state in Nagaland, the government, of course, the government everywhere, in all the northern states, like I mentioned earlier, they were grappling with the whole issue of unemployment. And so um, we also saw that government was uh, doing a lot of capacity building programs for young people in, in Nagaland. And after doing this program, what they were doing was they were sending our young people to different, uh, again, different sectors, different, different area of work. 
you know and those 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 trainings like i mentioned earlier those are very short term trainings and i also did another research on that to understand uh, some young people were moving because they had uh, references from friends and relatives staying in delhi and in around delhi but in some cases like our case we had the government who was sponsoring this type of program so i really, and and young people because it's a government sponsored program and they were all looking for opportunities they were you know just jumping to the fray and uh, grabbing the opportunity and i really wanted to understand the whole thing you know and then we realized that um, again that study also showed me so it's like for example, uh, for the government, it looks good in numbers. It looks good in their speeches. And they say, we have trained 500 young people. We have trained 1,000 young people and given them jobs. But the important point they were missing was, what about their future and their security? It's not just about numbers, right? And that, that also gave me the basis to really start understanding uh, what are the different interventions we need to do. But again, it was still not enough for, for doing that. So I, along with my team, and by the time, by 2006, we had already started our, um, uh, launched the organization. So as, uh, as some of our uh, initial programs, we decided to have a youth consultation on employment in all the 11 districts of Nagaland, because we really wanted to understand the pulse of young people. And that was also, so it, it, it just, it initially, because I had no background on this, I had no experience no study on employment on youth it was a big challenge but with experiences but the best part was during the same time the whole rti movement was happening in the country in india and i i had a friend who was one of the forerunners of rti the whole rti act and he he asked me to you know spread awareness of rti in the in the state and i was like no i can't be an rti activist i really want to focus only in young people but he said, no, no, you can, you know, you can use RTA as a tool to empower young people because RTA is all about corruption. It's about transparency, accountability. And the, the reason that you're not able to, um, uh, the state does not have enough employment, there must be something wrong somewhere, you know, the system is not right. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity for you to use RTA as a tool uh, to, to bring about transparency and accountability in the state. So during my RTI awareness uh, uh, campaign that also that was the first time that I, I, I could go and travel again to all the 11 districts, try to understand the people, try to understand what was ailing them, try to understand what was the problem behind unemployment, you know, and the second and the second time I had to do this whole youth, uh, youth employment, youth consultation on employment. So this, this consultations and this awareness and this opportunities uh, you know, for me to go and interact with people, to go and understand the people firsthand really made me understand the pulse of young people. So, yeah, so that's how I started my initial journey. For two, three years, I was totally into it, traveling, trying to understand people and trying to, you know, know their experiences and know more about them. Basically, trying to understand the pulse of the people in, of Nagaland at that point, right? But you know, you make a very interesting point when you talk about the you know your your position at that point with regards to how you came up with the idea. And the the point is that you say that government at that time had this uh, you know initiative where they would take in uh, youths and then they would send them from very short training. Right now, I think at that point, what your organization 
is trying to do or has been doing for very successfully for a very long time is in a way act as a catalyst where you are lengthening the process and also streamlining what basically the government had for a very short period of time but now having worked in this sector for this long now do you think that that initiatives from the government has changed i mean you could obviously you know speak about nagaland or whatever you have observed with regards to the other states as well do you think that 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 break and break kind of policy where they have more numbers than actually you know trying to reform the system altogether has somehow come into the picture or is it the same now as well um see the whole thing is we cannot stop especially in the northeast and anywhere actually in the country we cannot stop people from migrating looking for jobs right but the whole thing is our point was number 1 um is it out of choice or out of compulsion that was one thing we wanted to really understand number 2 is even if you are doing all the skilling program and sending our young people to go out and work that's good but if it's a government initiative okay we have to make sure that it's not like i mentioned earlier it's not just about looking good in in, in reports and in speeches they have to make sure that our young people are taken care of their their the security you know uh, because um it's different once young people move out from the state especially from the northeast uh, everything is so different culturally the food everything you know and just uh just it's a shock it's a cultural shock also for them uh just to adjust and adapt to the city life so of course we don't expect the government to handhold our children for years and years and forever but at least the first year we have to make sure that the monitoring mechanisms are put in place you have to make sure the you know your your evaluation you have to make sure that the companies that's hiring them has a strict uh policy you know so all those things have to be in place and that was what we were pitching for and we also wanted to tell the government that at least when you are giving skilling program you have to make sure that it's a very hardcore skill for minimum 6 months now things have changed you know that was 15 years back you know so much have have changed in 15 years but the, at that point of time uh, that was what we were pitching for and at some point of time we also wanted to stop the government from sending our young people out but any and eventually even we eventually we 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 had to uh you know uh soften on, on that on that part and we ourselves we are one of the skill development training providers but like i mentioned uh the problem with government of india has come up with a lot of good programs actually the whole skill india program i think it's a fantastic initiative um and i don't know whether we will discuss that a little later but those are fantastic initiative but what is also worrying for the northeast is there's so many training providers from different parts of the country for them it's business for them because the government pays them money to train people and you know to recruit them in some xyz company for them it's it's money they have to make profit and for them as long as they're training people and sending them out it's not their responsibility but for ngos for local ngos in the northeast for us it's it's not business for us our, it, it's about our our future it's about our youth so we are more concerned about all those things and the whole skill india program like i mentioned it's really great the program but some programs um, not just some programs many programs that the center government makes for northeast um, it it's just for the whole country and so um, sometimes there's a lot of disconnect and uh, uh we wish that um government of india is more sensitive to the different local needs and different uh, needs of the people
No, I think I I completely agree with what you said because I, ultimately I think what also needs to be kept in mind while forming those policies are the differences in how one looks at it culturally. Right? So um, I think that is also something that has to come into the picture. In fact, you know, in one of our other podcast episodes, we had a writer, uh, Professor Aruni Kashyap, and he was he was discussing to us as to how even the narratives of you know in writing particularly how it's somebody even though they study a lot about northeast how somebody writing from the northeast is always different from let's say trying to understand and then writing so i think that implies to when you talk about policies as well that it has to be more northeast centric but you know while Absolutely. while we discuss about skill development and uh, because you are have been working at it for such a long time uh, do you also feel that now with the new education policy coming into the picture as well there is a greater need for the education system to appreciate the fact that skill development studies should be inculcated in curriculums for for children of all age and all structures do you, do you believe in that no absolutely i think that should be the core of everything because what is education you know why do we go to school at the end of everything of course knowledge you know whatever but uh, a person uh, should be able to earn a, a living for himself or herself. I mean, should be able to take care of himself and herself, right? And um, from our own experience itself, um, uh, working in the in in this field, in the field of employment, we are struggling so much because uh, the the education system is so redundant, and um, kids come out of school, but um, for us, we don't get into. We have. We have not worked in, in the field of education in the past. So once they pass out of school and colleges and they come look, looking for jobs, I mean, all they have is a certificate and they have absolutely no idea about the world of work. And on top of that, I mean, at least in the context of Nagaland, and I know most of the Northeastern states also, it's the same thing. Uh, they would, when we ask them about, you know, their future, all they know is the traditional jobs like teacher, government servant or, or a doctor or an engineer apart from that they have nothing they don't know nothing you know and so i think it's very important um, for us in nagaland what they have decided to do a program an intervention called launchpad and we have done this with the department of school education and department of youth resources it's only class 12 i know it's almost late i mean by the time you're 17 18 a person has already formed his own his or own her own mind. So it's so difficult to even change their mindset. But nevertheless, it's going to be very difficult for people like us and so many other people, organization who are trying to help younger people look for jobs or employment. I think, I think you know, uh, on a lighter note, I think that while the 17, 18 years wouldn't, I think, bother too much. But we have to also, in, in particularly in India and most if that applies to of course the northeast as well we'll have to also try and change the mindset of the parents because uh, even today i think entrepreneurship is not really looked upon as a, a safe career for whatever reason i think they would rather much prefer their their you know sons and daughters have another government job so i think that has to also change but i think that that depends on on the parents and that that will depend on as they get educated but you know uh, Tell us a bit about, you know, when you when you tried launching, you know, this initiative, Launchpad, how, how much of a change do you see now with regards to that? Are those, are those 
people who are associated with it getting interested in entrepreneurship more are they do they want to work more for now let's say their society their community with uh, you know with the entrepreneurship hack so what has been your experience with that so launchpad is a very new program it's just one year running but before launchpad we have started doing a lot of uh, work on entrepreneurship you know and then we have this program called first cut where we introduce the whole entrepreneurship to students in class 9 and 10 um when we started i mean like you rightly said entrepreneurship business was something that is the last option in the northeast that's the last option and that is why that that is why even our entrepreneurs are also now in the past couple of few years say like about 4 or 5 years things have dramatically changed but before that um everybody is sitting for exams you know there you know the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of young people from the northeast in delhi you know sitting for coaching classes you know sit, yeah and they 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 they're sitting for exams still they're over age and after they realize that they're not made up made uh, for government uh, civil service services then they decide to start small ventures by the time by the time they're 35 40 it's almost late like it's not about uh, late in terms of a business being successful but just you know things are more easier when you are young because that's when you take risk that's when you are just adventurous that's when you are not scared of anything but by the time you are 35 plus you are wary of things you are cautious of things and it, it so that becomes too late and that is that is exactly what the problem is with the northeast and uh, and yes like you rightly said again is it's a lot to do with parents as well but yes uh, over the years um, now especially in nagaland and in the northeast also we have been working with the northeast we can see that energy people are we also trying to brainwash them by telling them that see if you want to be successful if you want to be happy you know you just entrepreneurship is the only way to go sometimes you have to be blunt to uh, whatever language it takes to brainwash them we try to do that depending on people that we're talking to but yes we can definitely see a lot of change today young people do want to venture out into business into entrepreneurship so there has been definitely a mind, mind mindset shift um, in, in in young people today when you talk about this entire process of changing the mindset of youth to be more entrepreneurial what is your idea of how the entire setup by let's say the government side is with regards to making an individual uh, more entrepreneurial for example the government of india of course as you pointed out comes up with let's say make in india or they come with skill india and let's say now somebody wants to venture into it do you think that there is enough that is done from that side that ultimately motivates the person to go and venture out entrepreneurship do you, or do you think there is a policy gap there somewhere like you said there may be cultural gaps as well so what is your thinking on that so um even before the startup india policy was declared actually for us at youthnet in order to do this whole entrepreneurial mindset change um we had to come up with some innovative idea and we did something called uh, uh the entrepreneur that was in 2013 i think yes and then in order to attract young people we had a mentor a friend uh, who uh, who is an industrialist an entrepreneur uh, an, an mp his name is rajiv chandrashekar 
and he's very wealthy and he's very successful. So we requested him if he can be, if his company, he and his company can be part of our program. And then, um, you know, we had this, um, uh, this program, which said, the program was called Who Will Rajiv Chandra Ch Shekhar Choose? And we, we brand, we did a fantastic branding around it. And then Rajiv, Rajiv flies in in his private jet and he, he lands in Dimapur and then he's having a session with this uh, young entrepreneurs, you know, and we, we, we tried to brand it so much, like it was such a cool thing, you know. So uh, that also got a lot of attention considering it was Nagaland, people, you know, people are not too much into entrepreneurship. So any type of innovation, and then we had different other, pro I mean, different type of programs, similar programs, and eventually this program became a notice program where Rajiv would come and again uh, uh, have this, uh, uh, you know, who will Rajiv choose uh, competition with the notice entrepreneurs. So that is, we tried this different methods, you know, to brand and to, to sort of uh, brainwash our kids by saying this is the coolest thing that you can ever think of, you know. So, if you don't, if you if you are, if you don't like studying, don't force yourself to study for exams. They're cooler things, and if you want to become the next Rajiv Chandrasekhar, you better you know start working on it. So so there are different type of things that we have been doing, and um, in terms of policy, in terms of the government's policy, um, um, I'm a very a political person. Um, but I think um, Prime Minister Narendra Modi's vision of all this startup India, stand up India, digital India, I think that's a great initiative. And it also, at the end of everything, it is also important for the, the state governments to make sure that the policy that has been made, the central, and, and like rightly said, um, some policies may not actually fit into our local context, but it also has to, uh, and we also have to make sure that it is, um, locally acceptable and uh, to, to the people, but the responsibility of the government is also to make sure that those policies are also implemented in the state. And when you say implemented, it has to start from awareness program. There are many programs uh, which young people, you know, because of the technology, because of the internet, we get access to different type of programs that the government is uh, initiating. But apart from that, I know in the Northeastern state, there are many, many good programs which has really not reached the grassroots and uh, beneficiaries, the people who need to know, you know? So again, I will not put the full fault on the government and blame the state governments, but it is the responsibility of the state government to make sure that these programs reaches uh, to those who need to know. I think there are just so many you know, stakeholders in a country like that sometimes implementation might get a little difficult on that stage. But you know, before we move on to the other segment, this is a question with regards to what you have been doing as well. Tell us a little bit with regards to your vision with Leaders Connect. What, what was the idea behind Leaders Connect? Yes. So in 2011, uh, YouthNet was doing pretty okay. And even uh, when we started, um, and usually what happens in the Northeast is when uh, people are jobless, people don't know what to do, then they start an NGO. In our case, not just me, but my team, we have people, young people who were pretty well qualified. And then we all came together and we started this. And so it was also a little, you know, it had already created a little bit of buzz in the Northeast. And uh, we had friends from the other Northeast who wanted us to start a similar um, 
uh, you know, a, a chapter on uh, a youth net chapter in the in their states. But technically, for us, we thought it was too much of a you know headache. We wanted to focus in North uh, Nagaland first and make sure that you know we have done good job before venturing to the other northeastern states. But we thought, why not? I think we should come up with another initiative which will connect all Northeast people together. And then I had a chat with Baichung Bhutia. Uh, he's a very old, good friend of mine, and he's the youth icon at that point of time. I'm sure still today he's a big hero, but um, you know, uh, I, I had a chat with him and I said, why don't we start something called Young Leaders Connect, when, where we are connecting all young leaders and achievers of the Northeast together in one platform. And the, the, you know, uh, the, 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 the most that we could do at that point of time is to come up with an annual conclave. And you know, once a year, get all these young people together, young leaders and achievers together, talk about issues, be one voice for the Northeast. So this year we're celebrating 10 years, we're already 10 years. And it's really funny because when we started, we were all very young, you know, whether it's uh, Mr. Konrad Sangma, the chief minister of, um, Meghalaya or um, Mr. Kiran Rijiju, uh, we were all young, but eventually people started questioning, you know, like, you know, how can those people be young? And so we have dropped the young. <laughs> the annual conclave continues to be called Young Leaders Connect because we want the conclave to be driven by young people, but the organization is called Leaders Connect. And so we are happy because I think this is the only organization, only platform where, um, uh, people from the Northeast come together and, you know, we discuss issues. We have many, many programs uh, where other organizations, uh, they organize for the Northeast, but it's a program, they come together and they go back and it's forgotten. They discuss certain issues, it's forgotten, but Leaders Connect, Young Leaders Connect is one Northeast, one family. I, I think it is unifying Northeast in the, in the you know, entrepreneurial stages like like no other initiative. So I think on that, the fact that you have continued it for so long deserves a lot of appreciation. I but you know, when you talk about unifying Northeast, and this is a question you know I have wanted to ask. So, so we see a lot of uh, developments going on in other states around India as well. And you being a lawyer, of course, you would go, I mean, your legal mind might say, tell you that this might at first sight become unconstitutional. But the reality is that now states in India are starting to, you know, put up reservations of, for jobs and these reservations go beyond the 50% uh, ceiling as well. For recently, Supreme Court gave a judgment with regards to the Maratha reservation as well. But deep down, uh, these policies that the states are trying to bring also reflect that need that even though these big MNCs are coming to different states, the fact of the matter remains that maybe a huge portion of their their population of the state are not getting employed, even though the resources are of the state. So do you mm -hmm. think that, let's say, now that you know we have very dynamic politicians, both in opposition and in, in, in power in all the Northeastern states who are, who are trying to bring Northeast up there, so naturally there would be investment at some time. So do you think there should have should be some kind of reservation for Northeastern people as well, uh, you having worked with so many youth of the, in the past, do you believe that there should be at least some reservation, if not so huge? Um, so as lawyers talking, you have already said it, when we look at from the legal perspective, yes, the whole unconstitutional issues will come up. But even looking from another perspective, 
as in the northeast i think is the other way around you know um, um, more than the outsiders taking our 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 jobs i think we need them more and this i say very candidly because because of our mindset again i mean you know i mean it's nice to be talking about that the, Northeast has a lot of strengths. Our young people have a lot of strengths, you know, and we are even more talented, more hardworking than many, many other youths in other parts of the country. But we also are very laid back, you know, we, we, take, we tend to take things for granted. And because of that, at this point of time, because when, when we're talking about businesses, when you're talking about private sectors, they're looking at, they're not here for charity. They're looking at making profits, they're making sure that they're making they are self, they're self-sustaining in some way or the other. And in our case, whether it's just MNCs or even our own enterprises, local enterprises, we want to make sure that good people are doing the job. And in the Northeast perspective, I think um, those job reservations will not work. Uh, I don't know, uh, five years, 10 years from now, I don't know how things will be, but at, at, at this point of time, I don't think so because we need to make sure that our young people are employable, number one. And, and, and there are many reasons. Have, I've been having a discussion with many policymakers on this issue also of why investors don't come to the Northeast in spite of having so many uh, good um, investment policies or, you know, or in spite of having all our North, Northeastern government going and pitching and asking them to invest in the Northeast. Why would a private company invest cores of money to a, in, in a place when they know that they don't even have local uh, uh, workers. I mean, they're not going to spend another extra, extra uh, they're not going to shell out another extra fund to get people from other parts of the state. So there are many issues, but yes, at this point of time, I, I don't think this is relevant for the Northeast. Um, we need people from anywhere to come. Uh, because when they come and work with us, there are also so many learnings that our young people need to know. Uh, we have also started taking examples of, uh, in the context of Nagaland, we're always scolding our young people. The government is always scolding the young people by saying, you say there's no job, but look at all those non-locals who have just come and set up their own businesses and they're doing great things. So it's also, you know, like a wake up call for young people to nudge them to be role models. Unfortunately, yes, role models, but our young people have to know that it's not, it's not that we don't have opportunity, it's just that we are very lazy, we are very laid back, and so we're just giving the opportunity to other people. I think that's a, that's a very wonderful perspective, and uh, you know, it almost is opposite to what I thought, but I think that opens up a whole new Pandora's box for me. Uh, but you know, coming from the policy angle to some of your own stories. Now, it's it's been a few long years that you have been associated with this initiatives. So tell us a bit about, you know, the fact that what inspires you to keep on doing and being involved with YouthNet every morning? And what are some of the inspiring stories, at least, you know, if you could share a, at least one story with us that, you know, gives you the satisfaction that what you're doing is ultimately, you know, putting something out on the ground to show, all right, look, this is a success story for you from me personally. Yeah. So, um, see, I'm not an ambitious person, as in, I don't set targets for myself. I never set targets for myself. And people, when I attend big, big international trainings, I mean, you, you, you know, and you have workshops and they, they, they have this 
target setting and they say, okay, now let's start working backwards. Where do you want to see yourself in 10 years, 20 years? Where do you want to see the organization? For me, that has always been a struggle for me because my life and this organization has always been driven by what people want and not what I want and where I want to see myself. And when I started this, I really did not think I will be or this organization will be where it is today. I know we still have a lot to do, but still, you know, so everything has been really driven by circumstances and situations. That is one thing. Uh, the other thing is, yes, uh, what keeps me going is the energy of young people. At this age, I still feel the same like how I felt when I started 15 years back. And that is the energy of the people. I know, um, yes, definitely I have a vision. I really want that um, our state and the Northeastern state should be on top at some point of time, one day. And that can happen only if we are able to nurture and mentor our young people in the right direction and guide them in the right direction. And as seniors, I think we are, it, is our, it is our responsibility and we are obligated to make sure that whatever we have learned, uh, whatever mistakes we have made, uh, we have to make sure that our, our, our younger generation don't make the same mistakes. Whatever good things are there, we have to make sure that we guide them and we make sure that we are on the right track because they are the ones who are going to make sure that you know, the, the future is bright for the Northeast. And uh, uh, it, it, it can be something small, like, you know, uh, organizing a big workshop where so many people have benefited and they're so happy. Every small thing to big thing gives me satisfaction. Like, for example, um, I came across uh, a family uh, of three, a mom and, and, and two daughters and a single mom, and she was suffering from cancer. And uh, the daughter, uh, she was, she, she was part of one of our training and pretty smart. So she became one of our trainers. And eventually she, her, she, she got her sister uh, to the organization. The sister uh, got trained as well. She worked in one of the five-star properties and then um, uh, she, they were taking care of their mother pretty well. And then the lockdown happened, she comes back, but she's so smart in this one and a half year, I think she learned a lot. And now she's come back and joined UTNET as a trainer. You know, so this is just one small story, but there are endless stories like this. Like we have worked with over one lakh young people. We do a lot of advocacy work as well, the right to information, clean election. So through this, there are so many people that we have impacted uh, also. Um, and, and so, I, I, I mean, every small um, impact that we have ma made gives us as much hap happiness as any big impact that we may have made. Like we do a lot of big programs. In the past, we have pitched for the year of construction worker because most of our construction work are done by non-local people. And like I, I mentioned earlier, our local people are very laid back. They think construction work is only for the outsiders, not, you know, they feel they're too cool to be doing construction work. But one of the biggest, I mean, construction is the sector which, which makes money and people do not understand that. So we had to push with the government to declare 2016, uh, if I'm not mistaken, as 2016 or 17, as the year of construction worker. So this is, no, and so this, not only in terms of training, but even at the policy level. So that way, these are some of the things, big things that makes us happy, that gives us satisfaction, even a small thing, when we know that we have given a job to one person, you know, that gives us satisfaction. So it's endless. Every, every day is, um, is a happy day. I completely, I mean, I, I think 
I'm completely in awe of what you just said with regards to making every day a happy day. Also, I think yeah, on a on a on a larger scale of what you're doing, you're also trying to glamorize those same jobs that people in the community for. I mean, for every community, not just in Nagaland, I think feel that are not the jobs they would want to do in the first place. Right. So, for example, let's say as you said, maybe construction work is not looked at in as a very glamorizing job, but through your initiatives are trying to make it a something more appealing to the youth because ultimately somebody wants to be someone that they see as you know maybe appealing or some yeah so i think yeah that is something that you're trying to do as well so i think that is very interesting but you know as somebody who says that you know they they don't plan to you know they don't they're not ambitious uh, getting a presi president's award is not really a small feat especially you know through your second avatar in your career. So tell us a bit about that moment. How did it touch you? Uh, one of my colleagues, she insisted that she's going to nominate me for this award. And I'm like, I, I, I was dead against it. I'm like, I'm not, awards are, it's important, but I mean, it, it, let's not get into that. Let's not even waste our time filling the form. But she, she went on and on and um, I'm like, okay, then let's just give it, do whatever you want to do. I mean, I don't know, you know? Fortunately, fortunately, um, I was uh, selected as one of the awardees. And of course, that was a great thing. Like it sort of, um, for me, I didn't realize it was going to be a very big deal, but definitely um, for my organization, uh, people started taking our organization, not that people did not take our organization seriously initially before, but still it, it, it's a president's award, right? So it definitely gave us an edge over many other things. And so that was really great. Uh, and when I went to uh, take the award, after the award ceremony, uh, the prime minister had asked us, I mean, had invited us to his house to have tea and have a small interaction with us. And there he, he mentioned saying that this award, don't think it is the reward for what you have done. Uh, in fact, this is the stepping stone for bigger responsibility, you know, to do bigger things. So with that, you go. But also, yes, it, it sort of also, again, humbled me more to make me realize that it's not um, an accolade for the things that we have done, but it's, it's like, it, it is more pressure on me now because the responsibility is more on me is the president's award that I'm, that the organization is carrying and we need to perform better. 10 fold better, 20 fold better than what we have been doing before. And definitely it helped the organization uh, uh, to definitely go one notch up. I, I, I can understand that. I think, uh, you know, it's not like you may be, while starting, obviously nobody thinks of getting an award. They, they try to focus on their own career, but I think that feels good to have that authority from the the, you know, from the first citizen of the, of the country. So it never goes against you in that case. You know, uh, before we end, uh, going from your journey, it's, it's no matter how, how humble you try to be to, you know, negate the fact that it, it was an easy journey. The fact is that there might have been a lot of obstacles throughout, especially when you shifted careers from being a lawyer to, you know, starting youth net. And the, the fact of the reality is that we currently find ourselves in a very difficult time with the pandemic around. So many people not only have they have they lost their jobs, but there are a lot of young people sitting at homes with their degree because this is not the right time for them to you know find a job or maybe even with the best of degrees. 
So what is your message to them? You know, because uh, as you said, you know, you, 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 although you say you are not ambitious, but you, in spite of having a plan, you decided to change the plan and then go on to achieve something different and maybe bigger. So what is your parting message to people who find themselves demotivated, demotivated at this point of time because of the pandemic? Hmm. It's a very simple mantra. I love what I do. And so for anyone who do, who do what they love to do, nothing is a problem. In life, in 15 years, ask me, the, the difficult times that I have gone through, you cannot even imagine. Like there are times when I don't have money to pay my staff, but I know that they, are, they trust me and they have a faith in me and I have to make sure that I'm not even, uh, you know, making them worry about where their next salary is going to come from. And I have to go take loans, borrow money and do, you know. So extremely uh, challenging, the, the, the journey that I've gone through, but Every, every challenge, every, every difficulty, because I love what I do, I mean, I, I just overcome, however difficult it may be, and it's, it, it just passes, you know, it's just a life's, life's learning lesson. Now, switching my career from one to the other has definitely, and especially starting from the scratch, when I started, um, I, I started from the scratch, zero balance. And I'd had no money because I had a very huge student loan. When I went to the US, I had a student loan, which I was trying to repay and now trying to, you know, just uh, uh, drop my career and start something new. It was a big challenge. But nevertheless, um, because um, I, I was so determined, I wanted to do this. You know, I, I just knew that this was my calling. And, and so as long as you love doing what you're doing, that's okay. And so for all those young people who are, going through this time, you know, uh, whatever I learned in my, in, as, as, a, as, a, as a legal professional, uh, I spent so much money, I spent so much time learning all those things. And today at this point of time, those things may not be directly relevant to whatever I'm doing, but the experience that I have gained, you know, if I had not been a lawyer, if I had not learned studied law, I don't think I would have ever made it in this profession though I did not study that to do this, you know? So every learning, every experience that you have undergone in the past will always help you. So don't think that, okay, my life is finished. My life is gone. I know you have lost your job. Some people have just uh, been dropped uh, from, you know, they get a shocking letter saying they are sacked. Some people, because of an unavoidable circumstances, you have left your job. You might, go into a, you might be going through a difficult life, but always remember that it's always easy it is always easy, believe me, to start a new chapter in life. And whatever you have learned in the past will definitely help you to step up into a new chapter. So as you prepare, please don't, uh, if, if you're sitting and thinking there's nothing to do and you're sulking over it, please don't do that. It's all about, again, it's all about your mindset. You know, you just have to make sure that you have a positive mindset and anything that you start, even if you want to pick up the old life, old profession that you have done, you have been doing, or even a new chapter in your life, nothing is impossible. It's only about mindset. Please be positive. People like us from where to where we have reached, we never even expected. If I can do it, anyone can do it, believe me. So please be positive, please stay positive and uh, good luck with the new chapter in your life. I think that will inspire our listeners and all the youth 
a lot in in and around of course the country uh, thank you so much on that note ikani for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you today thank you thank you so much thank you so much